may be seated. Last Sunday, we finished a sermon series, seven-week series on the book of Ephesians, and we read that book through the lens of what it means to be united, united with God, united with one another, united with the people we like, united with the people we do not like, saint and sinner alike, united under the banner the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then, as we landed that series, we did so in chapter 6, where Paul wrote about the armor of God. And we said, in our current context, where we are today as a church, as a society, as a city, that it's time to suit up, to stand firm, and to step forward. That's where we left off. Well, this Sunday, today, is basically a postscript to last week's sermon. And I want to look at one of the most influential passages in the entire New Testament, certainly one of my favorite. I didn't learn it until later in my faith journey, so I pray that our third graders, upon receiving their Bibles, will find it much more quickly than I did. You can find it in 1 Corinthians 12, and if you have a Bible you brought with you, or one in front of you, or one on your app, I I invite you to go ahead and turn there now. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, and it was a church that was so much different than the church in uh, Ephesus. In fact, Paul was in Ephesus when he received word that the church in Corinth was, was unraveling at the seams, that the culture was beginning to shape the church rather than the church shaping the culture. That's a scary posture, a scary place for the body of Christ to find itself. And Paul says uh, that the church had started giving into idol worship, or the fear was that they would give into idol worship, as was uh, the custom of that day. Paul addressed in the letter to the Corinthians certain doctrines, divisions, quarrels. He addressed the topic of sexual immorality, lawsuits, marriage, singleness, freedom in Christ, order of worship, uh, spiritual gifts. He also had a lesson in there about resurrection. He hit it on all fronts because he saw that some of the core beliefs of the church were starting to erode. But Paul's main point in addressing the issues for the church in Corinth was for the church not to retreat, but to rise and to begin shedding light on the dark places in the community. I want you to hear that again. In the face of monumental uncertainty and tumult, Paul told the church to be the church. Be who you know you were called to be. And do not form any type of idol that is going to compete for your time or your talent or your treasure. Don't let anything stand in the way of your relationship with God and with one another. That's where we pick up today. From chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed, you were led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord, variety of activities, but the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to another faith, 
to another gifts of healing, to another working miracles and prophecy and discernment of the spirit, uh, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually, just as the spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of only one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Listen to this. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, let the words of my mouth bring you praise. Let the words that I speak be seasoned with your love and grace. May the things... O oh Lord, that I choose to say, bring glory, not shame, to your name this day. Let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of our hearts bring you praise. Amen. Of all the nursery rhymes we learned as children, and there were many, the one that haunts me the most, or that baffled me the most, was Humpty Dumpty. Now, when I said those words, Humpty Dumpty, how many of you immediately went to a great big egg as an image in your mind? How many of you saw it? Yep, big old egg sitting up on a wall, right? Nearly all of us. Uh, where did that come from? Because in the rhyme, Mr. Dumpty is never depicted as an egg. In actuality, the rhyme is a veiled reference to a cannon that broke into pieces in 1648 during the English Civil War. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put that great big cannon back together again to keep on fighting. It fell off the wall. Nevertheless, here's what we do know about Mr. Dumpty. He did sit on a wall. He had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I vividly remember in my childhood being traumatized by the fact that no one could put Mr. Dumpty back together again. Literally, for me as a child, I avoided walls like the plague because I knew my friends and they couldn't triage, much less reassemble me any better than Humpty Dumpty's skilled kingsman. No walls for this kid. Humpty Dumpty's most famous appearance, you might know this, 
uh, came through Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass. And there was an exchange between Humpty Dumpty and Alice, and it had to do with the meaning of words. It's a wonderful exchange in chapter six of that book. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said to Alice in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more or neither less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. It's a wonderful exchange. I've been thinking about Humpty Dumpty and that exchange about words because in our Christian faith, we have one such unique word that means, I think, exactly what God has it to mean. It's written here uh, underneath our altar cloth. You see it on different altars. It says, do this in what? Remembrance, right. The word remember, anamnesis. It's a liturgical word associated with communion. Do this in remembrance of me. But there's also something bigger at play there in my estimation, more theological driving this word, as if, as in, when life knocks us off of our walls, and we are emotionally, spiritually, physically dismembered, it is God's grace that remembers us, that is, puts us back together. When God's people, the church, are disconnected, are dismembered, severed from God and from one another, or choose not to be part of the body of Christ, it is God's grace that woos us and attempts to put us back together. I just wonder if Paul had something like that in mind when he was writing to the church in, in Corinth. The, the church in Corinth was beginning to fragment from its gospel convictions by allowing the culture to dictate its, its scheduling and its value systems and its objects of desires and materialism and, and how it worshiped and when it worshiped and what it worshiped. So Paul takes this metaphor of the body to give identity to the church and to convey the importance of sticking together. I don't know how many of you growing up played ball in the house or maybe some of you are still playing ball in the house, but I remember an occasion or two where I might or might not have broken something that was valuable. And what's the first thing you try to do? Well, first thing is you go over there and you pick it up and you see if there's, if there's too many pieces to glue it back together. Hopefully there's not. And if there's not, then, then you can find the, the Elmers or the glue and you can, hopefully you can piece it back together, set it back up there before mom and dad get home and they never discover it until it's time to move. <laughs> and that happens. True story, right? Paul knew something needed to hold the church together if it were to get on the move again. I'm here to tell you, we have ways and means to hold ourselves together as a church as we start moving again. Paul knew that holding the pieces together, having fallen off the wall, having healthy priorities was so important. Some of you are fingers, some of you are toes, some of you are eyes, some of you are ears and hands and feet and voices. And, and when we're separated out from one another, we are not whole, right? And you, you feel that, you've expressed it to me, and I've expressed it to you. We, we look to our left and our right, and we, we, we remember people who were seated around us at one time who were not. Some have gone to be with Jesus. Some are not quite comfortable coming back yet, right? There's a void. We feel it. We do. For this reason, we, we use a phrase around here a lot, we won't be whole without you, 
It's actually a 2,000-year-old theological statement. We literally are not whole. Jason mentioned it in Children's Minute. Paul said it in the text. We are not whole until every member is doing what he or she is called to do, or designed to do, or inspired to do, or convicted to do, or called by the church. God's voice comes through the church, called by the church and asked to do something. That's why Paul says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. We're baptized into one body. We are not whole without you. The church, capital C, is not whole without our local church connecting with Christians near and far in ministry. That's why I mentioned at the outset of of our service, we're already talking to brothers and sisters along the coastline. And if you're listening, watching now from Louisiana, I know we have some Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi folks who listen each and every week. We are connected. We are bound together in this very moment by the Holy Spirit because we are the church. And when the Gulf Coast suffers, the body of Christ suffers. So with so much turmoil, we pray, God, remember us. Put us back together with you and with one another. And I hope you'll pray that prayer this week. For me, one of the main focus pieces of this long text that I just read says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored or rejoices, all rejoice together. Paul knew then what what we know now, the challenges that we face. There's no such thing as as individualistic Christianity despite what the prevailing winds of culture tell us. And that manifests itself in a lot of different ways through consumerism, Western individualism, post-modernity, whatever it is. There's no such thing as individual Christianity. Christianity is one part having Jesus be our Lord, our personal Lord and Savior. That's important, making those professions of faith. But we fall short when we don't also include our communal, our collective, our congregational Lord and Savior. That's the wider view of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. There is only one body that belongs to Christ that is in this world now, and it's called the church. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. Whatever we do, we do it together. We do not sit atop life's walls independently. If I were writing a a dictionary, which, sweet Jesus, please don't ever ask me to write a dictionary, one of the definitions of the church would be this, the place where grace makes space and where no one sits alone in life. The church is the place where grace makes space and where no one sits alone. And so after 18 months of this pandemic, that's tough to preach because I know so many people at home right now feel alone, but you're not. You're not on that wall or inside those walls by yourself. You may feel dismembered or disconnected from your church, but God's grace through technology and the power of the Holy Spirit is binding us all together. When we feel disconnected, all of us, what tends to happen is we begin to reprioritize life. So to that point, I think that's why Paul talked about idols invading the church. We need to talk about that for a minute. Because most everyone here believes the word idolatry means taking a stone or a piece of wood and carving something and having a seance and lighting a fire or something to that effect. And and there were a lot of figurine 
idols, pagan uh, figurines that people worshipped and uh, made sacrifices to. There were many gods, Aphrodite, Poseidon, Zeus, gods of war, gods of medicine, gods of love, gods of fertility, you name it, there was a god for it. There was probably a temple for it. And if there wasn't a, a temple for it, they just threw the rest of them all in one big place, right? And you just picked your, your flavor, kind of like a Baskin-Robbins of gods, of idols. So for a monotheistic religion to begin evangelizing that their, their God had become man and had lived and had died and had resurrected and had now had come back on the day of Pentecost in the form of the Spirit, well, people either loved it, they hated it, or they tried to explain to those poor little peon simpleton Christians how their God was actually just a new manifestation of some old God. The church was rent, dismembered, it started believing these new non-gospel Gnostic teachings. It, it was moving away from the one true God, apostolic and universal, whose holy faith we proclaim each and every week here. But the biggest challenge is they didn't see any problem in deviating from that gospel. It started creeping in. Anybody ever had a leak in your roof, like a nail hole, like a piece of shingle pulled up and that one roofing nail was, was exposed to the hole. And, and when it rains, you know what happens? It, it creeps in right there and then it runs way down a truss or some obscure place. And you don't realize you have a decay or a rot problem until several months or several years later. Anybody ever experienced that? It's, it's awful. It's so hard to find it. Sometimes you have to do a whole section or even a whole roof to get it back going. Well, anything that has become a competing value with your worship of God, with your prioritization of, of God in your life is slowly robbing your time and your spiritual giftedness, your energy, your, your health. And, and one day what we do is we wake up and we say, why do I feel like I do on the inside? It's just been a slow decay because we've become so disconnected. And after 18 months, we haven't had much of a choice. We've tried hard, but there's nothing like the body of Christ's being together. Maybe that's why Paul talked at length about putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Guard your heart and mind. Don't let anything in that's going to decay you from the inside out because you won't even realize it. You won't even know that it's competing, that it's winning. It's not competing, it's, just, it's winning. So here's where I'm going with this. As all of us begin to take our steps forward, to suit up, to stand firm, and to step forward, as we re-enter society and school and sports and football and arts and, and life and big old barbecue cookouts like happened yesterday. Be careful not to allow those to become objects of worship. Instead, use them as a place to usher in the kingdom of God, as a mission field. Repurpose them as a place to say, let me tell you, we won't be whole without you. God wants us all to be connected. Because let me be very clear, when we get knocked off the wall of life and are in pieces on the floor, there's only one group in life that knows how to help us pick up the pieces and be put back together, and that group is the church. All the other king's horses and king's men, they don't know how to do it. They freeze. But the church has been practicing this posture of kneeling down and helping one another pick up the pieces 2,000 years and for as long as it takes 
to help one another suit up and to stand up and to step out. And when one suffers, we all suffer. And then when we're put back together, we all rejoice. I mentioned this last week, that the past 18 months have, have affected every one of us. And I encourage all of you to run your mental, your physical, and your spiritual diagnostic checks to see where you are. Is the check engine light on? Do the tires need rotating and balancing? I want us to focus on your spiritual health. That's my role as your pastor. Because in the same way that we need to safeguard our, our mental health, our mental uh, capacities by setting good boundaries, by talking it out with a friend or, or with a counselor, the same way we need to keep ourselves healthy uh, as this virus keeps mutating and, and, and varying itself, in the same way we need to care for our spiritual health, to put one another back together again, to be remembered. We need the eyes to start seeing the needs of others and the ears to start listening to the pain of, of others. We need the, the hands to start offering a pat of consolation and encouragement and the ears and the feet to do their job. All of that begins with a crucial statement that you, my friends, are a critical piece to the body of Christ, a critical member to the body of Christ. We're neither more nor less important than anyone else, but we're important nonetheless. Watch a lot of sports over the past few weeks. Helps get over the lingering summertime humps and ready for football season and that kind of thing. I've watched the Paralympics. I've watched the other Olympics a few weeks ago. We've got Little League baseball tournaments playing. Football is starting. And um, so is American football. Football, the real football is soccer. Some of you know that. I remember from playing sports, and, and many of you who are here, some of you teenagers, you'll know this too. Sometimes you feel like you're looking around wondering what is the most important position on the field. Or you say, that, that player, my teammate, has the most important uh, position on the field. And we all look around and we say, well, well what is the most important position on the field? I've asked that, you do too. The answer is very simple. The most important position on the field is whatever position you're playing at the moment, right? In both sports and in life, the most important role is that the one you're asked, is the one you're asked to play. What is the most important position in the local church? It's the one where you're serving, the position in which you are serving. And if you're not some, serving somewhere, then it impacts the whole body. That's why this time of year, we, we're launching all these new ministries for the coming year. We're putting the pieces back together, and those pieces are beginning to put us back together as well. We cannot do this without each person suiting up and standing firm and stepping forward. We are not whole unless everyone contributes. Parents, we need the voices of your children at choir and in MYF and in Sunday school and in the other halls and byways of the church. Give them the spiritual gift of carpool and commitment by bringing them to our age-level ministries because it's where later in life they'll turn when they get knocked off the wall. It's where they'll help somebody else pick up the pieces who has been knocked off the wall. It's where they will begin learning the discipline of prioritizing their own lives. I, I know that, that all of our children, our grandchildren, have the capacity to be professional athletes and, and artists and they can run Fortune 500 companies, I get it, but I'm passionate about their soul, the type of person they're going to become. 
throughout their life. Because guess what? We only have them for a short period. Any of you empty nesters say amen to that. We only have them for a short period and we pray that we've done our, what we're supposed to do and the church has done what it's supposed to do. Where they turn later in life when the wall gives way and the pieces are everywhere, that's, that's the question I want to be able to answer. That's where I'm coming from. And that's true of all ages. We need one another and others need us. Listen, we all have the time. We have the talent. We have the resources to do whatever it is we choose to do whenever and however it is we do it. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What I'm saying is that to be a member and to be remembered as a part of God's family is to never sit on that wall alone. And when the winds of life knock us off, we have the people around us who pick us back up. The church needs you. You need the church. So suit up. Stand firm, step forward, suffer together, rejoice together. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Amen.